Good morning. My name is Desi. Today we'll be reading from Jude chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. And if you're using our Pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 1127, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemned condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God, whose sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You never thought you'd hear that much bass in church, did you? Right. <laughs> and 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 for those of you who who need a bit of translation. Um, Gas is a good thing. It's what the young kids say. So when you say God is gas, you're saying God is cool is what you're saying, okay? So just, you know, some of you grandparents today, you just need to go home. How was church? Church was gas today, okay? Your grandkids are going to be like, what in the world is going on? Well, hey, listen, we're glad that you're here today. Um, last week, we started a new book of the Bible. So here at Westside, we love studying books of the Bible. We just kind of go verse by verse and line by line through each book. And so we started the New Testament book of Jude last week, which is oftentimes a highly overlooked book of the Bible because people really want to get to Revelation real fast. And Jude is one of the shortest books, actually, in all of the New Testament. And so just a bit of review, here's what we learned last week. We learned that there is a battle over the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. So what Jude said last week um, and we learned about was the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ does not come from outside the church. Okay, I was very disheartened to kind of see all of these Christians up in arms over all of the stuff at the Grammys and oh my goodness, the world. Hey, listen, you ready for this? Hey, look up here, don't miss this. You ready for this? People who don't love Jesus act like they don't love Jesus. <laughs> right? We're just not concerned about that. That's not our job. That's not where we stand. Jude said the greatest threat does not come from outside the church. The greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ always comes from inside the church. And it happens when we start tampering with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. And so the second thing that we learned is this. Before we can ever contend for the gospel, we must contemplate the gospel. How many Christians are so quick to defend and to get riled up? And, and if you just said, hey, really quickly, uh, could you uh, just, you know, however long it takes, could you give me the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Uh... Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, the, the news and what I saw on the TV, and, right? And it's like, we know, listen, here's what we said. Christians should not be known what we are against. That's not what we should be known for. We should be known what we are for. And what we are for is the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, we looked at those words when Jude said, beloved, called, and kept, that we were protected, that we're called, that we're loved. Oh, it was such good news in those two verses. 
And this week, we now get into the thrust of the letter. And in verses 3 and 4, Jude breaks down why he is writing. And, and we covered it briefly last week, but, but there's so much there in two verses. And maybe this will help as an introduction. On November 2nd, 1944, he was born in Philadelphia. And later on in life, he served three years in the Vietnam War. And in 1983, he made his very first debut announcing in the boxing ring. And his name is Michael Buffer, right? You know this guy? Uh, he announces all of the boxing matches. Michael Buffer is now 76 years old, and he's been announcing for 40 years. I mean, if it is a boxing main event, Michael Buffer is your guy. You see, earlier in his career, he wanted to stand out. He didn't want to just be another announcer. And in an interview celebrating his 40 years, he said this, I wanted a hook line to get the fans into knowing who the main event and the fighters were. The stars of the show, if you will. The great Muhammad Ali used to say, I'm so pretty, I'm ready to rumble. Rumble, young man, rumble. And I kind of like that. So I redefined it, and I came up with my phrase, which is... So, so you know what we got to do, right? We got to do this, John. Go ahead, right? Let's get ready to rumble. Okay, all right, this is Jock Jams. We're going to start doing calisthenics now or something, okay? I mean, this guy has got a booming voice. And so when you hear, let's get ready to rumble, it's game time, right? But here's what I love. He went on to say this in the article. Um, by the way, he has coined that phrase, trademarked it. Um, that is his phrase, and every single fight, he does not get less than $250,000 to announce it. And through t-shirts, music sales, and the trademark, Michael Buffer has earned $400 million <laughs> saying, let's get ready to rumble, right? See, listen, you can't tell your kids now, you're not going to make a living doing that, right? Like video, like you just can't say that anymore, right? But here's what he said. Don't miss this. Through the years, that phrase has become a call to arms. It's a great way to let people know that you're getting ready to see the main event. Um, in Jude, verses 3 and 4 is the main event. It's the reason why Jude is writing it. And if you see in verse 3, he says this, Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you all to contend for the faith. Translation, in Jason's translation, let's get ready to rumble. This is what we're doing. This is the main thing. I love what one Bible commentator said. He said, our mind is forced to go to red alert. 
We're being asked to read standing in readiness. Required action is at hand. Urgency moves Jude. He wants contenders and he wants them now. If Jude were to write a letter to the church today, he wouldn't change a thing. We need this generation of Christians to contend for the faith. You see, the word contend in verse 3 is only used here in the entire New Testament. The word means to fight strenuously in defense of. It literally means the tense of the word is where we get our word to agonize in battle over. It's a clarion call. But, God showed me something this week, and I really want you to see it, because there can be a dangerous thing. I mean, we can get fired up, right? Let's get ready to run. And we're like, we're contending for the faith, and we love, and then here's what happens. We're like, we love Jesus, and we're mad about it, baby, right? And you're like, what in the world? I mean, you say, wait, you love me, but you're yelling at me? Like, what? Um, and and listen, everything hinges on this. This is the whole letter. You've got to understand. If, if you're just getting fired up and you're like, it's game time and your blood's flowing and you're like, we're going head hunting for sin, baby. Ooh, I can't wait till after church. I'm thumping heads to, right? Um, that's not what Jude is saying. That is not what Jude is saying. Do you see it right there in verse 3? He starts and says, what's the first word in verse 3? Beloved. Um, he's already used it. He used it up there in verse 1 when he said, those who are beloved in God. Um, can you say the word beloved all mad? Beloved, right? It's, what in the world, right? No. There's a tone to it. Listen, Jude is not slamming his hands down on the table saying, let's get fired up. Jude probably has a soft tone. It's serious, but it's a soft tone. Beloved. And then, and then he goes on and says, um, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. Oh, this is so good. You know what the word appealing means? To encourage you. We've learned here at Westside that the word encourage in the prefix means to put courage into. When you encourage someone, they're low on courage. And when you encourage them, you put courage into them. Do you see how it's changing now? Beloved, a soft tone. I wrote appealing to you to comfort and to exhort you. Listen, this is the thrust of the letter. And if you miss this, you miss the whole series. And here's the big idea. We're called to contend for the faith with compassion and conviction. That's it. That's the tone of the letter. We are called to contend for the faith. There's a real thing going on. We don't water down the gospel. We don't redefine sin. We don't say Jesus is cool with that when in his word he very clearly says, I, I died for that. I'm not cool with that. But at the same time, we have love in our hearts 
and we have grace on our lips. Listen, today, you have one job during the sermon, and it's to say, am I like that? Man, do I struggle with that? Listen, no, no, no. This is not a sermon today for you to go, my boss, you know what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm going to go into work and play the sermon real loud in the background. And maybe my boss, right? No, no, no. It's not for someone else. It's for you. It's compassion and conviction. By the way, we see this all through the New Testament. You see, one of the great errors is, is that some Christians believe that we are doormats. And that it's just about being nice. At all costs, be nice. And no matter what, you just, you just smile and you're just nice, right? And then there's other Christians who are like, truth, baby. Truth hammer, truth bomb, drop the mic. I'm going to call you out because it's just the way I am. And it's, by the way, you don't have any friends, okay, right? <laughs> if, if you're always saying this is just the way I am, right, you got a serious problem, all right? But look, um, how about the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor in 2 Timothy? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Do you know what that means in the Greek? It means Facebook. <laughs> it is right there in the original language, I promise you. Have nothing to do with Facebook. You know that they breed quarrels. Am I lying? Okay, right? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, here it is, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Ah, correcting, correcting. There, we get, no, there's got to be a conversation, man. There's got to be some things that get us off the couch. You've got to engage, but with gentleness. So for some of you, the word is gentleness. And for some of you, the word is correcting. Um, perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Or how about this in Matthew 10? People don't ever realize Jesus said these words. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. By the way, Jesus is saying, hey, Christians, I'm sending you out into the world and it is vicious out there, Okay. But here's how you need to be. Anytime you see Jesus use the word be, man, we can apply that. This is great. How do I need to be? Well, you need to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. That's incredible. As wise as a serpent? I mean, my, I mean that is like Jesus is saying, don't be naive as to where I'm sending you. The darkness is dark. The world is broken. Sin is real. You have got to be wise in these areas, but you have got to be as innocent as doves. And then how about this very, very famous one? This is Jesus' characteristics. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you know what the most important word is in that entire sentence? It's the word and. Grace and truth. Because we err on either grace. How we read it is not grace and truth. We read it as grace or truth. 
We fall on one side of the other. And we do this from time to time, and it's very helpful to tease out a concept and to apply it. So some of you in this room are grace people. You're just, man, if you're backed into a corner, it's just going to be grace, right? And praise God for you, man. Like, thank you. You're incredible. You make the sunshine just a little brighter every day, right? And then some of you are truth people. You're like, it doesn't matter. I don't care about emotionalism. What are the facts, Jack? The glass is always half empty. Everyone's about to die. Everything's wrong. And it's, hey, listen, we need you, man. We need you. Because if the grace people were in charge, we're doing good. And this ship is going down, right? (laughs) But if you're in charge, the ship's going down every day, right? Grace and truth. Um, so if you tease this out, we do a matrix sometimes like high grace here, low grace, low truth, high truth, up and to the right is always good, right? If you work with a spreadsheet, up and to the right. So what is it like if you were low grace but high truth? What's the culture that you're creating? Well, that culture is call-out culture. And that's brutality. If you are high truth and you are low grace, it is constant all the time. So the kids come over, the grandkids come over to your house, and you're eating dinner, and then one of them maybe kind of goes, man, things are tough right now. And you're like, well, yeah, they're tough. You're living with your girlfriend. (laughs) And then what you do is you post on Facebook why the grandkids just don't ever come over no more. Right? Hey, listen. What you're saying is, is, is good, and praise God for you, Grandma. Praise God. We need that. But how's that going for you right now in the call out? Listen to me. Truth is not a baseball bat. It's not like, I've got it. Truth. And then we beat everyone over the head with it. But now there's another error. If you are high grace and you are low truth, It's not a call-out culture. What you have is a hangout culture. At all costs, keep everyone together. At all costs. Just don't don't bring it up at dinner. Don't. We will talk about it some other... We're just going to... And listen, what you end up creating is a culture of hypocrisy. Okay? Because nobody in this room logically would ever say yes to something that would hurt someone, hurt them or other people. And what ends up happening in a hangout culture is that we never deal with it. It's real surfacy. It's real positive, And we just, we can't talk about it. Now, some of you are like, I mean, I didn't have no grace, no truth, no nothing like that, right? And what that is, is that's a checkout culture. That's apathy. You're just breeding apathy there. Doesn't really matter. And by the way, this is good for your marriage. For, I mean, listen, any relationship, the tools you have is grace and truth. And you've got to know when to yield them. And when we error, we are creating some sort of culture. And by the way, if you say, no, nah, we're not creating no culture, you're in checkout. What do, what, what's Jude doing? High grace, high truth. Call in. Call in. And it's what I like to call 
a humble boldness. It's a humble boldness. It's when you have to sit down and you have to have that conversation about that thing that's going on because that person's driving off a cliff. You do it with tears in your eyes. It is a humble boldness saying, but for the grace of God, I would be in your position. And if I was in your position, I would hope, I would pray that you love me enough that you would tell me this very thing right now. And here's what I'm promising. I'm not promising to just drop a bomb on you and then abandon you. I'm going to walk this with you because if I love you enough to call you out, I love you enough to walk with you in this as well. This is what Jude is writing to us as Christians. So we are called to contend for the faith with compassion and conviction. Two quick things in the passage. The first one is this. We are compelled by compassion. You know what the word compassion means? It means literally to to feel what they are feeling. But it doesn't just mean to feel what you were feeling. It means to feel what someone's feeling and to be moved to relieve suffering. Listen, it is not compassion if there is no action. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Look at the verse. He says, Beloved, though I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary. Right? We said this last week. Jude wanted to write a different letter. He wanted to write a letter about how God does this for us and and the common salvation. That's what he was wanting to write. You know what the word necessary means? It means to be compelled. I was forced now to write this letter about our common salvation. The word common, it means partnership. That's what it means. It means partnership. So Jude is sitting there and gets news that the gospel of the grace of God is being perverted among Christians. And Jude's heart breaks for that. So what does he do? Does he just get down on his knees and just pray? Just pray. We're just going to pray. Oh, he prays for sure. He prays and then he picks up a pen and he does something. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Compassion is love in action. That's what it is. So you grace people, this is a word for you. Because here's what you say a lot. I just love them, pastor. God, I just love that baby. God, I just love them. I just love them. Awesome. You got to be moved to action. There's got to be something. We got to be heading to something. Okay, compassion is love in action. But I know what some other people are saying, and and it's a lie that the world kind of has projected onto the church. And and some of you truth people, you're getting worried because you're like, well, love them. At what point do we, you know, the problem with loving people is they love them, and then they end up compromising. And what we got now is a bunch of compromisers in the church and a bunch of hypocrites. And I'm like, yeah, join us, okay? Because you're a hypocrite too, buddy. You can't even live up to your own standards, all right? So, but the world says this. You have to compromise your convictions in order to be compassionate. 
You must choose. You must choose to either have convictions or be compassionate. That is a lie. Nobody, there, there is no one saying that you have to choose one or the other. It's both and. Please don't miss, miss this. You can have convictions. I can, we can come to the scriptures and we can read, thus saith the Lord about an issue. And someone can be living in contradiction to the thus saith the Lord. And you ready for this? You ready for this? And I can still love them. See, here's what we do. We think I'm against now. And most of the time what the other party does is the other party doesn't like that either. You see, the definition of tolerance actually assumes a difference. So what the other party says is you have to condone and celebrate this in order for this relationship to work. And please listen to me. If you lay that down as a prerequisite for any relationship, you will have a wake of bodies behind you. It will never work. Because you don't have to compromise your convictions in order to show compassion. You say, well, do you have a Bible verse for that? Yeah, I do. Look at what Jesus did in Mark 2. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. You see... You don't understand the shock and value of that. So I'm going to read it again. And when I get through saying tax collectors, I want you to gasp. <gasps> All right, you're in the Bible now, right? Story time. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Um, did you know that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard by the Pharisees? Because every time they saw him, he was laughing at a meal with sinners and tax collectors. Because do you know that um, God came to save only one type of person? Sinners. And the Pharisees can't see their own in that. This tells me that you don't have to compromise your convictions in order to be compassionate. Jesus interacts with a woman caught in the act of adultery. And he tells her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Grace, go and sin no more. Truth. Grace and truth. When I was thinking about this and Jude was so compelled, right? Compassion is love in action. And I think in this day and age, social media makes it real easy to like almost deceive ourselves like we're really involved in something. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, right? Praying hand emojis. My heart's so broken. Broken heart emoji, right? I'm just, I'm in this, man. I'm so involved in this. Um, here's a question for application. When is the last time you were moved to action over what breaks God's heart? 
Jude was. I'm compelled. I can't write the other letter. I want to write another letter, but I can't. i got to write this letter because my heart is breaking over what breaks God's heart. You see, we are compelled by compassion. And the second thing is this. We are confident in our convictions. And, not or, and, not or. Um, Look at what he says there in verse 3. Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary, appealing to write to you, to contend, here it is, for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Oh man, that is a good phrase. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me in the early church, there was a set of beliefs that they believed, and we use this language here at Westside. At Westside, there are open-handed issues and there are close-handed issues, right? So when you go through our membership class, you learn this, that we teach in our membership class what we call close-handed issues. And what are the close-handed issues? They are the very essentials of the faith, that there is one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That God created the heavens and the earth. That God created man and woman in his image and likeness, male and female. He created them. And before there was ever original sin, there was original blessing. And God said, it is good. Be fruitful and multiply. But our first parents, rather than worship God, chose to be God themselves. And they believed the enemy. And sin entered in to the picture and sin has fractured everything thus as Psalm 51 5 says for I was born in iniquity and sin as Romans 3 23 says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as Colossians 1 says that we were hostile in mind enemies to God and children of wrath sin broke everything but what did God do God did not run from his creation, but rather he said, Adam, where are you? And from that point forward, God sent prophets, he sent priests, he sent kings to chase his people. And then God wrote himself into the story. And the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, takes on human flesh. He lives the life that we could never live, dies the death that we deserved. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and he's alive today physically not some spiritual woo I think he spiritually rose no he physically rose from the grave and when he ascended and seated at the right hand of the father he sent the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 on Pentecost and that is the birth of the New Testament church and from that Jesus sends gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit and he creates his church and he equips each and every one of us to go find and save more lost people and the story's not over yet because the story says that Jesus Christ is coming back again one day to judge all of creation and those who have called upon the name of the Lord as Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that you would be saved and we are saved by grace not of works so no man would boast and when he comes back he will judge all of creation and sin will be no more 
and death will be no more. That is the faith. Once and all delivered unto the saints. We don't mess with that. Well, what's open-handed? Um, okay, what's close-handed is that Jesus is coming back one day, yes? I mean, that's in there, man. It's in there like a gazillion times, okay? Um, how's he coming back? Some of y'all are rapture people, and you're, you got the bumper sticker. Um, um, not occupied in case of rapture, right? Your car, whoa, all this stuff. Didn't you as a kid used to go home and be like, Mom, and no one was in the house, and you were like, the rapture happened. <laughs> I'm left behind, <laughs> right? Okay, how he comes back and the signs that lead up to that, that's open-handed. We're not going to argue over that here at Westside. At the end of the day, there are close-handed things that thus saith the Lord, that God has said, not Jason, not Westside, not Baptist, not this, not that. It's what God has said. And Jude said, we contend for that. We don't edit that message. We are God's messengers, not God's editors. So what's the problem? Who, where's, what's going on? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look, he says it right here in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Remember, not outside the church, inside the church. They've crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Translation, God's not surprised. God's not up in heaven going, what in the world? I had no idea. The, where'd they come from? Holy Spirit, get over here. Did you know this? Right? God's not doing that. He knows. Unnoticed, ungodly people. Here it is. Who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Bing, Yahtzee, there we go, on it. Here's what Jude is saying. Some people have come in and said, God's grace is so good. God's really into giving grace. And we as human beings are really into sinning. So the more sin you commit, the more grace you get. The Apostle Paul and the rest of Scripture Paul would say in Romans 8, do we sin so grace may abound? By no means. Here's what Jude is saying. The love of God is not a license to live however you want. But that's not even the issue. You missed it. That ain't the issue. He says it. It's not just perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. By the way, the word sensuality means lawlessness, total chaos, complete anarchy, craziness. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. And good luck. It's like what the Joker said in Batman. You know what I love about chaos? It's fair. It's just nuts. But what's the issue? Here it is. Look at it. It's the rest of the verse. Into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, here's the issue. I've had conversation after conversation. Nobody ever, hardly ever, is angry about the doctrinal issues that I just talked about. Nobody. Here's the issue. Is whenever the implications of those close-handed issues 
means that Jesus is Lord of your life. Here's the sentence. The love of God leads to a life submitted under the lordship of Jesus. Nobody has a problem when the Bible teaches about forgiveness and about grace. Everyone has a problem when the Bible tells you to keep your pants on. That's the problem. Whenever it's a lordship issue, this is not my money, it's Christ's money. This is not my family, it's Christ's family. This is not my life, it's Jesus' life. Jesus promised one thing for those who would follow him, to take up your cross daily and crucify it and then follow him. That's the battle. That's the battle we're in every day. And it's not our message It's the message of the scriptures. I love what St. Augustine said. He said these words. If you read what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe. It's yourself. And do you know where that's the biggest problem? In the church. In the church. As 2 Peter says, the judgment of God begins in the household of God. That we read a little bit and say, I like this, but when it comes to this area of my life, I do my own thing. Jude is saying, we have to contend and say, that's not so. And I know what many of us are saying. But Jason, these desires and this and that. Um, when the ice storm just happened, and the band can come up and lead us in a time of response. When the ice storm came through just recently, of course... Um, that means, you know, we all go outside with the kids. And this time it was like, you know, one of the kids was like, yay, and ran and went, bang, and it was just ice. I mean, it was just total ice, right? Well, one of our kids kept scooting, and they were kind of slipping a little bit on purpose. They were laughing. It was a lot of fun. And mom and dad were like, hey, hey, don't stop doing that. Don't do that. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Zip. Boom, right? Not fine. Not fine, right? Question. Why'd mom and dad say don't? Yeah. How come we never think this when we see God say don't in the scriptures? Because when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. Why can't we trust him? Because, because I could have a conversation with many of you today and you would say, oh my God, the hurt that it's caused. The brokenness that it's caused. But it is the love of, and please listen to me, I know many of you right now are saying, yes, this is true, but where's God right now? God is right where he's always been. He's never left. He's never left. So what do we say in conclusion? Two questions. The first one is this. Do you find yourself compromising your convictions in order to be compassionate? Today you need to ask for humble boldness. There's only so many coffees you can go have with someone. There's only so many lunches, only so many please pray for me. At some point we pick up a pen because compassion is love in action. And then for some of you, Do you find yourself using the truth like a baseball bat to beat people up rather than build them up? We're called to build each other up.
and that is through the love and mercy and grace of God. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus. We are called to contend for the faith with compassion and conviction. Father God, we come before you today so grateful for a much-needed word. God, it's the guardrails of safety that you have on our life. And can we just trust you today? I mean, honestly, God, we've been trying to do it our way for so long, and we're either exhausted, we're either prideful, we're either miserable, we're either depressed, we're e all of those things. And today, could we just ask for compassion because we've been holding those convictions like a bat? Or could we ask for those convictions and some humble boldness because now it's time to move to action? And when we look at you, Jesus, oh my, very God from God, very light from light, you look at us and you know, you know every sin, every brokenness, every shame, every guilt, and you look us in our eye and you say, I know everything. And then you say, and I love you. Go and sin no more. Oh, what grace, what grace. So Father God, move in this place today. Convict those who need convicting, Comfort those who need comforting and move us to action. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand to